we're going to be we're going to be starting a new series next week. So today we're just doing a little bit of a a little one-off, and um, we're going to talk a little bit about baptism today because it's a really big important thing that oftentimes doesn't get preached on enough. And so we're just going to talk. Let's do a little short little short sermonette here uh, because we're going to do a little bit of uh, extra singing at the end of the service again, and uh, because they just. They don't want me talking too long up here. I have a tendency to say things that, you know, put my foot in my mouth. So it's just not, not a good thing. Matthew, short, go. All right. So I will now start my timer and actually begin to preach. So how many of you have ever heard of Ivan the Great? Anyone? Ivan the Great. As opposed to Ivan the Terrible, two different... Ivan's, both Russian. Uh, Ivan the Great rose to power in Russia in the 15th century. He consolidated a bunch of the Russian fiefdoms, and he drove back the Mongol hordes, and he basically tripled the size of the Russian Empire. He was a, he was a pretty good leader. And um, in the middle of his reign, his, his wife died uh, very suddenly, tragically, and Ivan, who was a shrewd man, saw an opportunity for a political gain and pursued a political marriage with the Byzantine princess in Greece. And so as the marriage negotiations, and that's what they did in these political marriages, they negotiated the marriage and it was finalized, Ivan traveled with his personal guard of 500 soldiers down to Greece to be married to the princess of the Byzantine Empire. When Ivan arrived and wedding preparations were well underway, a major issue arose. This was supposed to be a Greek Orthodox wedding, but Ivan had never been baptized into the Greek Orthodox Church. Now, for his part, Ivan didn't mind getting baptized. He was all for it. So he said, okay, yeah, great, let's do this thing. And they immediately made plans for his baptism. Now, wanting to follow their leader in every way, not only did Ivan say he wanted to get baptized, but every single one of the 500 soldiers who went with him also said, we want to be baptized too. So I want, you to, I want you to, this is a true story. I want you to picture this in your minds, right? Picture the, the rolling hills of Greece leading down to the crystal blue waters of the Mediterranean. And on the sandy white beach stands 501 soldiers, because one of them's Ivan, 501, in full battle gear. Like they went with the swords and all of their armor, all of their, their regalia, their ribbons, their marks of rank, everything. They're standing there on the beach. And then opposite them, in, in the lapping waves of the Mediterranean, are 500 Greek Orthodox priests in their full vestments waiting to baptize them in the Mediterranean. And then on, on all of the hills around the beach where they were doing the baptism were thousands and thousands of Greek onlookers who wanted to watch this Pretty amazing spectacle. Baptism was a really, really big deal. 
Now, we just had the privilege of celebrating the resurrection of our Lord this past Sunday. And it was, it was a pretty amazing time. And, and that served as the capstone for a sermon series called Root to Fruit, where we studied how the Holy Spirit produces different qualities of the Lord within us as we learn to submit to him more and more, as we learn to walk by his power more and more. And next week, we're going to be starting a sermon series on the armor of God from Ephesians 6. So we're very excited about that as we study the armor of God together. But today, we're going to take a little break and look at baptism and the importance, the critical importance of baptism in the life of a disciple of Jesus. Now, this year, we're going to be celebrating a baptism weekend on August 26th. That's Sunday, August 26th. I hope you all write down that date in your calendars, put it into your phone. We want you all to come out. We're inviting you all to be there as we do campus-specific baptisms. So, if you've already been baptized, excellent. Come out and celebrate those who have yet to be baptized. And if you have not yet been baptized, I hope that you listen very closely to this teaching today. If you have been baptized, you also should listen and be reminded of the significance of what baptism means in your life. So we're going to be studying just two verses, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. And because I only have a short time, we're not going to dive too deeply into this passage. I would love to get into some of the Greek and tenses and things like that, but we're just going to study the main stuff here as we look at baptism in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. So as you're turning there to Romans 6, I'm going to pray. So pray with me. Father, we come before you today and we, we seek your truth about the privilege of baptism. Father, I thank you that we have things like the Lord's Supper and baptism and these ways for us to mark and remember and rejoice over what you have done for us. I pray, Lord, tonight as we study this, we would all be encouraged. Father, I pray that I would be fully yielded to you, that, that your words would speak through me, that it would be none of me and all of you, God. And I pray that our hearts would receive this, that we would be hungry and thirsty for your truth, Lord, and be transformed by it, that we might be more and more like you. We put this before your throne, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. You can read it along with me. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, as you can see, I didn't have time to make a PowerPoint for this sermon, so sorry, I failed. But I'm hoping that 
maybe somehow can hold your attention, hopefully hold your attention as we talk through this without the pretty pictures. Although that's a pretty picture, right? You got like a nice stream with a little like dead wood motif in there with some rocks. It's missing shrub. Maybe there's a little bit of shrubbery. Shrubbery's nice. Any Monty Python fans here? Shrubbery? Yeah. All right. Roger. Good. The shrubber. Good man. Now, before we, we jump into this passage, there's some critical truths that we need to recognize about baptism to help us to really understand exactly what Paul is driving at here, okay? So critical truth number one, we need to recognize that in this passage, Paul is speaking about spiritual union with Christ. This is very, very important. He's speaking about spiritual union with Christ, and he is using water baptism imagery to convey this truth. So he's, he's talking about the reality of our spiritual unity with our elder brother Jesus, but he uses the imagery of baptism to express some of the truths in that unity. So critical point number two, because he is using water baptism imagery for a spiritual reality, a spiritual truth, it's very easy to read this just these verses and think, well, geez, I, I better get baptized or I'm in trouble. But that's not at all what Paul is saying here. There, there is no salvific power in water baptism. I like that word salvific. It, it makes me feel smart to say that. It's like salvific. Say it with me. Salvific. Don't you just feel like, you know, like I got to put my pinky up when I drink now, you know? <laughs> salvific. No salvific power in baptism. There's no power for baptism to save you, all right? I want to make that very, very clear so we all understand that, right? Paul is not saying, you better get baptized or you're going to go to hell. Nor is he saying, if you get baptized, hallelujah, you're in heaven with Jesus. No, he's using this as imagery, Okay? So there's no saving power in the act of baptism. However, critical point number three, and we get this one right out of our text, Paul assumes, he's assuming this, that every believer in Rome to whom he's writing has been baptized. Did you catch that in there? Look at the verse three. All of us who have been baptized. Now, again, I don't have a chance to break down the Greek, but basically he's saying, look, everyone who's reading this, I know you all have been baptized. He's assuming that the disciples of Jesus in Rome have been baptized, and so he's referencing back to their baptism to help shore up the spiritual truth of our union with Christ. All right? Three critical truths that we need to understand to get this context. Why, by the way, does Paul assume this? Well, he assumes this because every disciple in the early church, it really wasn't a question. You, you were going to get baptized. That was something you were doing. Why? Because Jesus commanded it of his disciples. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus commanded the disciples. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe Everything that I've commanded you, all the words that I've commanded you, and behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Baptism is a critical 
aspect of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so let's just pause right here for a second. And I've got to ask the question. Rhetorical. You don't need to raise your hand or anything. But have you been baptized, water baptized, as a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, that last little proviso there is very important. Have you been baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about paedo-baptism, which is another fancy word. Paedo, can we say that? Paedo-baptism. That's a fancy word for infant baptism. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about being baptized as a baby when you didn't know what you are doing. Have you been baptized knowing full well that I am doing this as a proclamation of my submission to Jesus? Have you, have you put your faith in Christ and then experienced the joy, and it is truly a joy, of being baptized as a very clear and public expression of, of me bowing my knee to the Savior of the world and saying, Lord, you are my all in all. Now, if you haven't, just please hear me, because this is, this is important. Not only are you missing out on the amazing spiritual experience of baptism, and I mean truly, baptism is, it is an amazing experience. It is something that we get to do. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. It's much like the Lord's Supper. This is a privilege that we get, we get to celebrate and remember what Jesus has done for us. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. Baptism is something that we get to do. It's a privilege that we've been given when we're adopted into the family of God by God's grace through faith. But we've got to recognize here that not only are we missing out on that privilege, if if we have chosen not to be baptized, so hear my words, if we've chosen not to be baptized, so I'm not talking about someone who is maybe like ignorant and wasn't aware of the importance of this, right? Someone who's like, I know I should be baptized, but eh, whatever my reasons are, I'm not doing it, right? If we've, if we've chosen not to be baptized, and yet you, you, you profess being a follower of Jesus, then I just want to very gently say that you're being disobedient, and you're walking in sin. And, and God is, is not pleased with that decision. Okay, I'm trying to be gentle here, but I'm trying to be truthful with what the word of God says, okay? You might ask yourself, well, what sin am I committing? Is it a sin for me not to be baptized? Well, no, the, the act of baptism and not doing that is not sinful in itself. But here's the question. Why aren't you being baptized? Ah, now we're starting to see what sin is emerging. For most of those who have chosen not to be baptized, there's two main heart issues that emerge that the Lord wants to address, wants to help you mature through and grow from, okay? Heart issue number one is the most common, and it's pride, it's pride that says, ah, I just, I don't want to. I don't, I, don't, I don't need to do that. I don't want someone to tell me what I need to do. I'll just, maybe I'll do it when I'm ready. Or, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. I don't, I don't need to be baptized to be saved, so I'll just kind of do my own thing. Whatever your reason is, you're, there's, there's pride, there's selfishness rooted in there. That is sinful. 
And that pride is causing you to reject a command of our Lord, which is it's a pretty big deal that you're doing that, right? Primary reason number two, which I guess would make it secondary reason, is fear, right? Fear. I just don't know about the whole, like, getting in front of people thing and, and giving my testimony thing and talking and it's the water's really cold and I don't want to go in the cold water. I'm exaggerating for effect. But fear is another thing that often keeps us away. And fear, in that regard, is, is usually the fear of man, meaning the fear of what other people will think of you. You have the fear of what others are going to say or, or how they're going to perceive you, and that is also sinful. Okay? So these are, these are not good reasons. They're not adequate reasons to say no to the command of Jesus. God, we have to see this, God is exceedingly pleased in our obediently being baptized. He rejoices, the angels rejoice at the public profession of the children of God being baptized as a symbol of what has already happened spiritually. How do I know this? Well, look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. Immediately after Jesus' baptism, you all remember this, right? Immediately, Jesus comes up out of the water. Boom, what happens? God, the Father, speaks from heaven, which is like the only time in, in the Gospels that we see this happening. So it's a pretty big deal. It's probably something significant going on. God, the Father, speaks from heaven, and he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Right after Jesus is baptized. There's probably something to that, huh? I mean, the father didn't say that after Jesus died on the cross. That would probably have been a pretty cool time for God the Father to do that. But it was when he was baptized, when he was showing us who, who are the ones who really need to be baptized as the showing of the cleansing and forgiveness and freedom that we have in our union with Christ. Jesus was doing that to show us, his disciples, how it's to be done. Now again, there's no saving power in water baptism. It's, it's not salvific, okay? But baptism is way more than just a symbolic display, Right? There's, there's something mysterious that takes place when we boldly profess our trust in and submission to Jesus and we, we share our testimony and then we are lowered below those waters and brought back up again. There's, a, there's, there's mysterious spiritual weight to that. And many of us, I'm sure, who have been baptized can think back on that moment and say, yeah, that was really very, very special. At least I hope you can. In, in one sense, getting baptized is kind of like exchanging a wedding ring. When you enter into the covenant of marriage, right, what, what you do is you give your vows during the wedding ceremony. And as soon as you both give your vows, you're married. You have covenantally united. 
But at least in our culture, most couples choose to exchange a ring. Why do we do that? We exchange a ring so that we can proclaim to all those who look that I have made this covenant, I have united myself to this person, and this is the reminder, this is the symbol of my having done that. Some people go so far as to get that ring tattooed right onto their finger. It's like all the cool kids are doing that now, like Pastor Austin and his wife. Raise your left hands, guys. Come on. Yeah. Tattoo rings. You're so cool. I'm, I'm wearing my tight pants today. I feel pretty cool today, too. Yeah. And it's kind of weird, isn't it? At least to me. No, no offense to anyone, but like if I'm married and I'm not wearing my wedding ring, I just feel like, I feel like I'm naked or something, you know? Like, oh, where's, where, what is, what's going on? Like, that's baptism. Baptism is like, is like the wedding ring of our covenant with Jesus when we submit to him by faith. It's kind of weird to not do it. Have I feel naked, you know? Baptism is a privilege that we get to take part in, and then we're going to go through these quickly. There's at least three critical aspects, three critical aspects of our identity as followers of Jesus that we need to see in baptism, all right? And this is all laid out right through Galatians 6, 3, and 4. Number one, baptism boldly testifies to our union with Christ. Hopefully, we, we, we're seeing this. It's all about our union with Christ. Look, look at the passage. Baptism signifies our being baptized, our union into Christ. You see that word into? In the ESV, it uses the word into. In the Greek, it's, it's, it's literally being joined with. If I were you, I'd circle the word into throughout this passage. We're baptized into Christ. We're baptized into his death. Baptism reminds us and it professes to the world that our identity, who we are, is rooted in Jesus. And we're seeking to be like him in every single way. That is who I, you want to know who I am? Who is Matthew Millen? Well, look at Jesus and that is, that is who I, defines me. And I'm trying to be like him as much as possible. I fail way too much, but by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, I will grow in that and get better and better and better, right? Nothing, nothing else in this world defines who the child of God is. It doesn't happen. No, not our job, not our family or our kids. Our hobbies don't define us. Our, our life choices don't define us. Our sexual orientation doesn't define us. Our leisure activities don't define us. Our nationality doesn't define us. Our politics don't define us. All of those things do not define the child of God. It does not make you you when you submit to Jesus. What makes you you is the Father and the Son and the Spirit saying, you're with me now. Can I get an amen to that one? Amen. Huh? That's a pretty big deal. And that leads us to the second aspect of our identity that baptism reveals. Number two, that when we are united with Christ by the power of God, we are dead to our old way of life. Amen? amen. 
This is why Paul says that we're not only baptized into Christ, but we're also baptized into his death. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ Jesus who lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ. Jesus died and took the punishment for all of the sin in the world. Every sin that will ever be committed, past, present, and future in this entire world, Jesus died for that. And when I submit to Jesus by faith, when I bend my knees to him and say, Lord, I am yours. I receive what you have given. All of my sins, all of my mistakes, all of the things that I've done wrong, all the bad choices I've made, all the times I've messed up, all of those go on to him and I am baptized, I am joined, I am united with Christ in his death and that death that he died He died for me. I am dead to my old way of life and all of those things no longer define me. That's a big deal, right? Amen. That's awesome. In baptism, we're proclaiming that we're dead to our old way of life and those things have no power over us anymore. And this is why the ideal form of baptism is by full immersion in water because you're lowered below the water as a symbol of the death to your old way of life just as you are lowered below the ground if you're buried, right? Very symbolic. But the imagery doesn't stop there. Paul continues on to show that baptism reminds us that we're not only united with Christ, that we're not only dead to our old selves, but finally, number three, that we are cleansed and free to walk in the newness of life that we have in Jesus. And that's a big deal because so often, if you're anything like me, maybe you can relate to this, I fall back into those dead things. And if I'm not careful, I can get discouraged. I can be like, oh man, I thought I I was delivered from this stuff. Why is this coming back? But baptism reminds me that I've not only been lowered below the water, I've been brought back up out of the water and by the power of the Spirit working in me, I can walk free of those things. Even if I fall back into them, the Lord will help me to continue walking, to keep going, walking in the newness of life that I have in Christ. Because those things don't define me, because Jesus defines me, I no longer need to be anchored to those things. I'm anchored to Jesus, and he will pull me through even when I lack the power to do so on my own. Amen? Amen. That's a big deal. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There's baptism right there. All three of those aspects in that one verse. The same thing Paul's writing here in Romans 6. Jesus brings life from death. It's what we just, Pastor Tim just preached on at the State Theater, right? He brings life from death. And as we come up out of the waters, that's exactly what we are proclaiming, that I am alive in Christ. 
Making the decision to be baptized is an act of obedience, yes, but it is also a joyful privilege that we get to participate in as children of God and as followers of Jesus. And if, if you haven't experienced this joyful and mysterious gift from the Lord, what are we waiting for? What are you waiting for? Now, we're planning on doing it on August 26th, which, frankly, is way too far away. I'm like, let's go down to the river right now and just get this thing going, right? That's what I want to do, but we're going to wait a little bit for that. However, if you really, 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 really feel like you want to get back, just come talk to me, all right? All right, you come talk to me, and we'll get some, some you know. I got Chris Farley in a van down by the river in my head right now. Is that? No? Sorry. The foot out of mouth, Matthew. Focus. In Jesus' name. Okay. Let's do this thing, huh? If you haven't been baptized, let's do this thing. And that brings us back to Ivan the Great and his 500 soldiers standing on the edge of the Mediterranean. Now, as they're standing there, there was a little bit of an issue that arose. One of the priests, and I can only imagine this guy, like, of all 500, there was one guy who decided to, he had the chutzpah to remind everyone, uh, eh, the Greek Orthodox Church doesn't allow professional soldiers to be members. These guys here with their armor and their swords, yeah, it's going to be a problem. And so Ivan the Great, ever the politician, uh, went up to the chief priests, and they did some hasty uh, negotiating, and they figured out a solution. That was good for everybody. And so every single soldier stepped into those crystal blue waves up to their waist to be baptized. However, just before each one was lowered under the waves, they unsheathed their swords, held them up as high as they could, and as they were lowered below the waves, every single part of them was emerged right up to their wrist as they held their fighting hand and their sword out of the water. They gave every part of themselves to Jesus. But that little, you know, that little fighting part, they are going to hold that one back for themselves. And sadly, that's, that's the same thing that many of us do today, right? We, we hold back parts of ourselves and fail to fully walk in our identities as children of God. And even more, some of us have chosen not to be baptized at all either spiritually, by not even submitting to Jesus in the first place. Ah, that Jesus guy, he's kind of, he's cool. I, you know, I like the music, and it's fun, and I'm learning, but I don't know. I don't know. And some of us are symbolically refusing and holding back by not being water baptized at all as that symbol. Let me, let me just encourage you today to no longer be satisfied with leaving anything out of the water. Dive into the identity that we have as saved 
children of God, free to walk apart from our old way of life. Submit everything to Jesus. Be baptized as a proclamation of that. As a proclamation that we're united with him, that we're dead to our old selves, and by the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to walk in the newness of life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.